All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy, as you know if you've been coming. So go ahead and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. And we will go ahead and read the entire chapter again. And Lord willing, I will be teaching the first two chapters. So you're stuck with me for one more chapter, unfortunately. But then uh, Drew, I believe, will be taking chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Uh, so we almost finished up chapter 1 last week. We'll finish up a few things there, and then we'll dive into chapter 2. So begin by reading chapter 1 here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love and faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you all know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So, can anybody remember what we talked about last week? And we picked up in verse 13 last week and kind of worked our way uh, towards the end of the chapter here. Does anybody remember anything we discussed last week? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Paul is telling Timothy to guard the gospel or the deposit and as I reflected over that, um I just I really think that's kind of like progressive sanctification, like like for him to kind of guard it, but then also to behave in light of the deposit that he has in him or mm -hmm. you know, to a Behave in a Christ-like kind of way. Yeah, to continue to grow in, in your gifts that you've been given and, and, and everything that you know, we talked about that deposit really just being all the grace that has been given to uh, Timothy, and now he's charged to to guard that deposit, and so too are we charged to, to guard the deposit that God has given us. And we talked about if you've been given salvation, uh, then you've been given. Well, we talked about the the idea of to whom much is given, much is required, and if you've been given salvation, then much has been given to you. And so much is required of you, and uh, that's kind of what Paul was, was telling Timothy here. Kathy, did you have something you were Same thing? Okay, Bennett, go ahead. I think uh, we also thought about uh, if, uh, the tendency to fall away from the faith, mm -hmm. and we look at it too many mentioned, and yeah. we discuss the pool of the world and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We mentioned these uh, two men here at the end of this uh, who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And can anybody remember kind of what we talked about or as to who these men were? I remember. They were probably pretty well-known individuals. Uh, Timothy would have been well aware of who they were. And they, they may have also been uh, ministers themselves. And it's possible, I think we kind of mentioned that they, they could have been like the, the Kenneth Copelands or the Joel Osteens of today, who would have been kind of what they were there. Um, these prominent kind of false teachers who had turned away from Paul and uh, didn't want anything to do with him. And so we, Paul mentions these two examples of men that have been unfaithful to him. And then we led into talking about uh, Onesiphorus, um, who was an example of a faithful man. Do you remember anything we said about Onesiphorus? I didn't really finish up talking about him. That's what we're going to finish up here today. Uh, but we kind of discussed, uh, firstly, whether or not he was a Christian or not. And the reason we kind of brought that up is because in verse 18, it says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. I mean, that would be the judgment day. And it seems as though Paul might be praying that the Lord would grant him salvation and that he would have mercy on that day. Um, and the Lord would be gracious to him. Um, so we kind of threw around the idea that maybe he was just kind of a really kind individual and a, one who enjoyed serving but wasn't actually a Christian, um, but also that it could be the other way, that he, he's, he is a Christian, and this is an example of, of him being a faithful Christian. I kind of tend to believe he is a Christian, um, just given uh, some of what is in the text there, and we'll kind of discuss that a little bit um, but anyway, uh, regardless of whether he was a Christian or not, uh, what can we learn from this example of Onesiphorus? That he was kind. That he was kind, yes. Yeah. Go ahead, I think uh, it reminds us that sometimes uh, when God calls his people, he always surrounds them with helpers. Mm -hmm. So in the church, you can have helpers. Mm -hmm. In ministry, you can have people who volunteer to mm -hmm. help whoever God has called to do something. So it's something that we can, we can take comfort from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it speaks to the need to have helpers and the need to have people surrounding you that, that are building you up and encouraging you. Um, and then, it, yeah, it speaks to us that, that we could be like Onesiphorus or um, that we can have a servant's heart like Onesiphorus did. Um, he was constantly of assistance to Paul and even sought him out when he came to Rome. Now, most likely Onesiphorus uh, was from Ephesus and may have came, came to Rome on a business trip or, or something of, of that sort. Um, well, when he came there, he felt a strong desire to, to be with Paul and, and see Paul. And so he earnestly sought for him. And it probably would have been kind of difficult in that day for him to have found Paul. Uh, being in prison, I'm sure there was a lot of prisons in Rome. And uh, he didn't have internet or phones in that day to be able to communicate where people were. So he probably had to go from prison to prison asking questions to try and find out where... Uh, Paul was, so it would have been very difficult, so it shows uh, the kind of uh, desire he had to see him, that he would go through those lengths to be with him. And it's incredible, too, because um, the danger that that would have brought upon Onesiphorus, because in that day, again, Christianity was not well received. Um, it was People were being persecuted for being Christians. Paul was in prison for being a Christian. So for him to go associate himself with Paul um, would have been... Uh, a dangerous thing to do, and it's kind of another reason why I think he probably was a Christian. I don't think if he was an unbeliever, he would have put himself in that kind of danger. Uh, it's possible that he would have, but most likely to me, he would—he was a faithful Christian who uh, wanted to be in Paul's presence to encourage him. And so, 
Apparently, he had such a heart for service that it was well known by many, including Timothy, as he says there in the last verse there, it says, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So it was well known that he was a faithful um, server of, of God. And so this is a pastoral epistle written to Timothy, a pastor. Um, but as we discussed earlier, this was intended to be um, viewed by others and read by others, and they were to take instruction from it. So it's not only for uh, pastors. Uh, but maybe you're saying that, you know, I see how this stuff all applies if you're a pastor, but, you know, I'm not a pastor, so I don't sure what applies to me, but you could possibly, like we talked about, see yourself being an Onesiphorus. Um, could you see yourself playing that kind of a role in, in the church? Even if you're not called to be a pastor or a teacher, you can uh, be called to be an encourager and somebody who is of help to the pastor um, and constantly there to support him and instead of being somebody who is, you know, kind of, discouraging or always having something to complain about or something like that. So uh, I think we should strive to be kind of an Onesiphorus. And so even if Onesiphorus wasn't a believer, that should motivate you all the more, I think, to uh, do this kind of thing. And isn't it kind of sad that there are sometimes unbelievers that have more of a serving heart or more kind, more encouraging than, than unbelievers or than believers are? Um, it's sad, but that unfortunately it's true. And I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg, and he gave this example of someone by the name of Thomas Smith, who was a member of a church in the 1800s. And when he died, uh, the Reverend John Clark did his funeral, and this is what he had to say about him. And I'm just going to quote from the sermon that I listened to. And he said, a, a great blank was created in the church by Mr. Smith's death. He was a member for over 50 years and an elder for over 40 years. Having been ordained in 1882, he had ever been a regular attender, a devout listener, a wise counselor, a trusted friend, and advisor. A Sabbath morning without his kindly visit to the vestry, an elders meeting without his massive figure in the room, or a congregational meeting without his presence was difficult to imagine. The measure of his service would be the measure of their loss. His cautious wisdom, his shrewd judgment of both men and matters were familiar to them all. Behind this, there be a true and loyal heart. No one ever went to him with any real trouble without finding in him a wise counselor and a true helper. He was a faithful man and loved God above many. He has now heard his master say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. So those are some kind words to be said about somebody, and um, I think something that we can ask ourselves of. You know, would this be said about you? Would this be, uh, you know, after you part from the church or if you die and move on to heaven, um, is this something that the church is going to say about you? That's something to ask yourself, something to ask myself. You know, am I plugged in and am I involved enough uh, that I have that kind of effect on the church? Not, not in a way of like measuring your popularity or something like that among the church, but just in your level of service to the church. Clearly, this man uh, was very involved in the church and had a tremendous impact on uh, the life of the church. And so there was, a, as I said, a great blank created when he passed away. So maybe something just to think about, um, you know, how, how much are you affecting the church and, and involved in the church? And I think that's kind of along these same lines as, as what Onesiphorus was. I'm sure Onesiphorus was very important in his role in the church. So any comments, questions on any of this kind of thing? Yes, I want to say a minute. Are you, are you raising your hand? I can't tell. I think uh, when we read the book of Timothy, you know, we say it's a pastoral epistle, mm -hmm. but we get the impression that it's not really for pastors alone. Yeah. And it speaks to uh, this idea that we join the local church 
for people to serve us. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's the other way around. We should join the church because it provides an opportunity for us to influence mm-hmm. and affect people. Mm-hmm. But if we have this mindset, oh, I'm looking for this church where you know my children will be fine and mm-hmm. people will serve me, and mm-hmm. if they don't have that, then I'm moving away. Yeah. I think it, 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 it's, it's not the right mindset to have. Mm-hmm. But if we have the mindset to serve, to be faithful, to be committed, Mm-hmm. To you know, proclaim the, 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 uh, the gospel to help to proclaim the gospel. I think it will serve as well. And I think that's one thing that I get from reading the book. It's not only for pastors, mm-hmm. but it's for everyone to have that kind of you know servant mm-hmm. mindset. And then when we do that, you know, our churches will flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will move from church to church looking for yeah. church that will. Yeah, when we have everybody committed to to serving instead of looking to be served, and you know, well, I went here and it didn't didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm going to move on. Um, instead of looking at how how you can help and serve as as Paul and Timothy did so well. So yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Um, anything else? Any other comments, questions? Right, Kenny. Okay. Wasn't ashamed at all. Mm-hmm. Just honestly, mm-hmm. just honestly, just yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, this is right, yeah, because and then Paul says that earlier to Timothy to not be ashamed of his his chains, um, and then like I said, gives examples of people who were ashamed of him and wanted nothing to do with him, and Onesiphorus clearly wasn't. Um, he, he was had no problem being associated with Paul and um, was wanted to be faithful to Paul despite what difficult situations might arise from that. So, yeah. anything else? Go ahead. Yeah, that could be uh, what what's in mind there as he's praying that is is praying that. He would have mercy on him in the sense of, of bringing his children, his wife, maybe if they're not believers, um, to become believers and have mercy on them. That could be what it's talking about. Yeah. Anything else? Any other comments? Quick, quick summary on just the entire chapter. Like Bennett said, you hear First, Second Timothy, Titus, it's the pastoral epistles. It's, mm-hmm. it's for pastors. It's laying things out for pastors. But you see the deep theology that's meant for everyone. Mm-hmm. In every verse, mm-hmm. that you know, it's it's more than what, more than just a pastoral epistle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of one of the things that surprised me in, in studying it because I kind of thought that was going to be the main focus of it was pastor. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to teach to about being a pastor. I'm not a pastor, but uh, but then reading it, there's just there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so many uh, great doctrines. We talked about predestination. We talked about eternal security that we're all found right. In here, the summarization of the gospel. Again, there's, there's all kinds of uh, wonderful things to behold in here, even if you're not a pastor. Uh, so, yeah, that was one of the things that, that stuck out to me as well. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, some of what Bennett said, too, that, you know, when you go to church where you can serve rather than be served. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's just reminded to all of us that we should look for ways. That we can serve. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that has to happen behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Yeah. But you know, it's it helps others in the, in the 
in the college. And mm -hmm. I think as you know, as members, we should be looking for those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunities, I think, you know, even in this church, of, of ways you can get plugged in and things for different people with different gifts, um, different uh, abilities and whatnot that you can help and be of assistance to the church. So, yeah, it's certainly something we're called to do. Any other things, final, uh, before we finish up chapter one? All right, I think we're, we're ready for chapter two. And so I was going to do a little bit of review, just a couple of quick questions, uh, just to review kind of maybe for some of those who weren't here in the beginning chapters where I kind of laid out the background of the epistle. Um, we'll see if, if you guys can remember. So I have a couple of questions. So hopefully you know this one. I've mentioned it several times. Where was, where was Paul when he wrote this epistle? In prison. In prison? In, in Rome. In Rome. Yeah, he was imprisoned in Rome. This was his second imprisonment. And remember, this was his final imprisonment, and he uh, would, would die soon after this. Um, so yeah, Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote this epistle. Uh, where was Timothy when he received this epistle? He was in Ephesus, yeah. Paul had charged him to stay in Ephesus the first, uh, when they had, were there the first time on the missionary journey. He charged him, and that's in First Timothy. We see that, that he uh, tells him to stay in Ephesus and be an elder and a leader there. And so that's where Timothy is uh, when he receives this epistle. Uh, anybody know approximately when this epistle was written? 67 AD. Did you know that? You remember that? Or did you look at it? <laughs> oh, there, there you go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. 67 AD. I mean, that's approximate too. I don't know that you know we know exactly that that was the year, but. Uh, Around 67 AD, the late 60s, is when this uh, epistle would have been written. And it's believed that this was the last epistle that Paul wrote as well. Um, anybody want to take a stab at the purpose of the epistle? It's kind of a, a couple different purposes of it. Um, anybody think of any? Go ahead. To encourage, yeah. To encourage Timothy, yeah. That's certainly one. Um, you know, Diane? Not to Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, that's all there. Anybody else? I'll just go ahead and read what I had. I went over this the first lesson, but I'll read this again just to kind of give us a reminder of what this epistle was written for. Um, this, the purpose of this letter is to stir up Timothy to be faithful and diligent in his duty to be a minister of the gospel and to abide by the truths of the gospel and to encourage him to suffer patiently, cheerfully, and courageously for the sake of the gospel. Uh, it was also to warn him against false teachers, both those present and those who would come in the future, and to not be discouraged by the amount of people who will follow them. And then lastly, to request Timothy's presence with him in Rome. And so we, we've kind of already, in the first couple chapters here, is largely kind of what you guys talked about there, is, was to encourage Timothy to be bold and, and to not give up and to continue to live out his calling to be a minister. Um, sometimes Timothy's referred to as timid Timothy. Again, not that he was uh, cowardly or weak individual. Uh, Paul talks about how faithful he was and how he didn't have anybody else like him. He mentions that in Philippians. Um, so that's not the case with Timothy, but maybe just wasn't as bold as Paul was um, and, and had a tendency to, to um, shy away, I guess, from living out his calling. So Paul wants to continue to encourage him and tell him why he can have this strength because of you know the grace that's in Christ Jesus and all of this and the spirit that is within him. And so Paul's writing to encourage him to do that. So. Who's talking? Oh. 
I'm sure that has something to do with this part of the whole idea of wanting to take a look at God instead of people, maybe as far as sort of comfort and strength. Yeah, yeah. I think Paul, or I think Paul did kind of anticipate that this was kind of the end of his life. Um, I think that's you know part of why he's writing this letter too. It's a good point. Um, he's trying to pass this on to Timothy and have Timothy kind of be his successor and carry on what he's already established. Um, and so he wants to continue to commit this sound doctrine uh, to Timothy and, and, like you said, have Timothy look to God instead of uh, men. Uh, for his teaching and for his guidance, for his strength and all that. So I think at the very least, he, he knew he wasn't getting out of prison. Mm -hmm. Because he told Timothy, bring me my cloak. You know, try, try to help me out here because I'm not yet now. Mm -hmm. And usually they didn't have a really good parole system. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he was anticipating that. I think it was a, a little different imprisonment than his first one, which was more of like a house arrest kind of thing. So uh, I think he was, and especially with the intensified persecution going on towards Christians in that time. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Any other comments before we move on? Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, also, I'd like to look at, uh, wait a minute, I know we're talking about that, but chapter 4, the 16th century, I'm already being poured out as a big offering. I'm mm -hmm. on my departure has come. Mm -hmm. I have fought for the fight. Yeah. I have finished the race. That's Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point too. Yeah, it clearly seems to indicate that he was he was anticipating that this was this was among his last years here on earth, and so he wanted to impart more wisdom and encouragement to Timothy before he moved on. So, all right, we'll go ahead and begin in chapter two. So I'll go ahead and read the entirety of chapter two, just so we uh, can get the whole context there and talk about some things that maybe stand out to you, and then we'll begin. Chapter 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, 
useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So anybody, uh, anything that sticks out to you there, um, comments or questions? On, there's, I know there's a lot there, obviously, but uh, any quick comments or questions that you see there after reading that? I just noticed his, his analogy with athletic events. Mm-hmm. That I've, I've run my race. I've, yeah. You know, yeah. It's like boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, he used a lot of, of mm-hmm. athletic analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about that too, maybe today. I don't know if I have time. But, um, and this is something that would have been familiar to them at that day with the Olympic Games. And I think the Isthmian Games is what I. In my studies, figured out that that was what they had at Corinth um, at this time as well. So they would have been really familiar with the role of an athlete, and so Paul uses that as a metaphor for the Christian life a lot. So, anything else? I love um, verse thirteen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. <laughs> yeah. If we blow it, yeah. he's still there. Yeah, it's pretty uh, glorious to remember and remind ourselves of um, because we will be faithless at times, but God will always be faithful. So yeah. Anything else? Keep going. Okay, so we'll pick up there then in, in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul again refers uh, to Timothy as his child here. and We talked about that too, how close Paul and Timothy were. Uh, they thought of each other as uh, family, and Paul thought of them as his son. And he says that uh, in, verse, in chapter 1 and verse 2, I believe, again, he says to Timothy, my beloved child. So he often refers to him in this way. Uh, which shows the tightness uh, and the unity of their relationship. Uh, and he urges Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we see this kind of thing over and over again, where Paul tells Timothy to, again, look away from himself and instead look to the Lord. Um, in chapter 1, he tells him to fan into flame the gift he has been given through the spirit of power and love and self-control that has been given to him. He also tells him to share in suffering by the power of God. And then he tells him, to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to him by the Holy Spirit who dwells in him. And now he tells him to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So constantly pointing him to the Lord and away from himself um, to look for this strength, this power to continue on in his ministry. And Paul could have just you know, flattered Timothy and told him how great he was and how strong he was and how you know, wonderful he was and smart he was and told him because of those things you will be able to carry on. But Paul knows... Um, that there is nothing in Timothy or in anyone um, that is going to provide this sort of strength. He must trust in the Lord and pray that the Lord would give him this strength. I think this should be a red flag to you um, if you're ever going to a church and, and listening to their sermon, and that's kind of the message of their sermon, is telling you how great you are um, and how strong you are and how wonderful you are and trying to build up your self-esteem um, to tell you that you can you know, now conquer any obstacles in your life. Um, that's a common message in this day. It should be a red flag to you, I think, if you go into any church and that's what they're preaching. You need to flee from that kind of teaching. Uh, the message must always be aimed at taking your eyes off yourself and instead turning them to the Lord. 
And through that, we will be able to overcome, and through that, we will be able to persevere. And I'm sure that you know any of the heroes of the faith, or you know the whether in the Bible or throughout church history, any of the men and women that we revere for their courage and their faithfulness, uh, they understood this. They understood that uh, their strength, their power, was not coming from within themselves. It was coming from God, and therefore they had to look to Him for that help. Um, any comments, questions on that? Yeah, yeah, even, yeah, yeah, even just the, the again the strength that he gives you from day to day to carry on through difficult trials or situations, whatever. I mean, that is even the grace of God, uh, grace of Christ in your life not just the grace he gave you uh, to save you. Now, there's all kinds of ways in which he gives you this grace. Good point. Anything else? Like what you said, you stay away from personal pronouns. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at the I, me, those, those kinds of things for yourself, you're mm -hmm. looking the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And that's what the prosperity gospel is today. Yeah. You know, you, I've heard some of their clips of service that they say, you know, I drive a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. God made me a Ferrari. And you are, and I've heard Joel Osteen say, you are fully loaded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's not about that. It's, mm -hmm. it's about God. And that's how our worship should, should be. Yeah. You, know, you see how if you're worshiping and it, it becomes a me thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I think I've seen a clip. I think it might have been Joel Osteen where. He stands up and just says, like, I am beautiful. And then the, <laughs> then the congregation repeats, I am beautiful, I am strong, I am strong. I'm like, well, that's about the worst thing you could do. Um, but that's, yeah, that's the message of a lot of the prosperity gospel teachers is to tell you how great you are and, and to look to yourself to find strength, um, which is not, not where you want to look. Um, and so then he says, uh, and what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to, who will be able to teach others also. Uh, so here we kind of see the transition from the apostolic church to the post-apostolic church, uh, that being that Paul was an apostle and Timothy was not an apostle. And he's kind of handing him the keys, passing it over to him now, uh, because like we said, Paul is about to die and Timothy was going to take over. And he's saying here that the same message that transformed Paul and gave life to Paul, and which Paul so earnestly proclaimed, uh, is the same message that should be the aim of your ministry, uh, Timothy. He tells Timothy that he needs to pass on this truth to others. Uh, this is the sound doctrine that we talked about last week, where he says uh, to follow the pattern of the sounds word that, sound words that you have heard from me. So not only is Timothy to follow that pattern, but he is to teach that pattern uh, to others so that they uh, may follow that pattern and teach that pattern to others. And it just kind of repeats itself. And that truth is the truth of the gospel, really, um, and everything that is incorporated with that, which does not change and does not... Um, no, it cannot be altered. So, it's important to note again, too, that Paul does not charge uh, Timothy to uh, come up with his own theology or come up with his own ways of thinking, uh, but it is what uh, Paul has entrusted to him, uh, that what Paul has learned from God. And so, Paul does not charge Timothy to continue to stay relevant or to continue to find new ways to get people in the door or uh, to find clever ways to keep people entertained, as so many people strive to do today. 
uh, the charge is simple. It is quite simply to preach the Word of God and preach nothing but the Word of God. There's no need to try to, to, to put your own spin on things um, to, to be more effective. Um, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing the division of soul and of spirit. And so he wants Timothy to know that and to trust that. And so Paul's specifically talking about here uh, raising men up to be faithful, to fulfill the same role that he and Timothy are fulfilling, and that is the role of a minister, the role of a pastor and a preacher. And so that's the specific, uh, in, within, in the context here, what Paul is talking about. Uh, this is why he says to entrust it to faithful men, because that role is, in the Bible, clearly teaches, is to be fulfilled by men. Um, this does not at all mean that women are inferior or less than. Um, they simply have different roles, and those roles are just as valuable and just as vital, um, but they are just different than one another's. And so men have been called to fulfill this role of the pastor. And it's what, Timothy, or it's what Paul wants Timothy uh, to continue to uh, raise up and teach these men to be able to do that. Um, but he's not saying, you know, that Timothy only teach only teach men this and don't worry about the women. No, clearly you teach you teach everybody this, but in this role it is for the pastor. And this is how God has designed things. He has designed it so that his word is communicated through the preaching and teaching of faithful men. And what was the characterization or characterization of these men? What does it say there? Reliable. Reliable. Oh, did you say reliable? Okay. Yeah. Another word for, for faithful. Yeah, faithful, reliable men. That is what these men are to be. So we're not looking for, um, when you're looking for the next pastor, you're not looking for the most wealthy or the most well-spoken or the most uh, good-looking pastor, or the most popular men. Uh, you're looking for uh, the faithful men, the ones who have studied the Word of God and know the Word of God and love the Word of God and who are obedient to the Word of God. Um, that is what, uh, to be a pastor, you are called to do. And again, not men who are going to put their own spin on it and bring their own wisdom to it, not men who are going to fiddle with the gospel and alter it and water it down. Uh, it must be entrusted to men who are unashamedly committed to it. Which I'm not done yet. Um, this is not just a, me uh, a message for pastors. It's a message for every Christian. What you have heard from the Word of God uh, you must entrust to others and teach to others and share with others. And so we must invest into future generations and pass this truth uh, along. And so what are the best ways to, to do this, to pass on this truth, this doctrine to future generations? Really think of anything. Right, Ben? Uh, what comes to mind is that you know, traditionally the church has set up meeting days mm -hmm. that uh, when we are supposed to avail ourselves. Mm -hmm. of, you know. But it's interesting that even with the church, it's not meeting like it used to meet years ago. Normally, church is Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and then if you are in other ministries, maybe you are in the women's fellowship, you are in the youth fellowship, you are. Sunday school, we put all together. Sometimes we are meeting every day in church, and now guess what? You've taken a prayer meeting out, taken out the Bible study, mm -hmm. taken out Sunday night. So now it's only Sundays, mm -hmm. and if we are teaching people consistently, do you think that Sundays alone is enough? Look at how we go to school. School is not meant to be just a day a week. Mm -hmm. It's every day. Even weekends, you are working. Is that how we treat the word of God or the church? 
Mm-hmm. Would it work that way? So you look at that and then look at even the family altar, the family worship. Mm-hmm. And then you tell me whether we are training people to be able to be faithful men, mm-hmm. to be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. So we are just doing it in a very haphazard way. So all that I'm saying is that we are really, really in danger, especially the time that we live in. And we, have, we can't complain when our young people are moving away from the faith and they go to college, we are afraid and all of that. Because we know very well that we have not been faithful mm-hmm. in doing the right thing. That's why when our children are leaving, we are scared. Mm-hmm. You know? So this is I want us to really think to me. Why is it that the church, I mean, I was in the church in, in California, and the church is more than 100 years old. But you go there today, you look at the history, and the history of the church put all these pictures on the wall to show their past glory. Mm-hmm. But the current glory, you know, because they have not been faithful uh, as they were 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, as a church, we can think through. Mm-hmm. Committing to faithful men is not a kind of one-day kind of thing. Yeah. It's daily, you know, acts they commit daily. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. praying the apostles' doctrine, the teaching, the breaking of bread daily. Mm-hmm. We cannot meet daily today. Yeah. You know? if, even though we have technology and all of that. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good point. It's interesting. You mentioned like school. Well, we go to school every every day. You know, or at least five days a week. But you know, we leave. The things of God, the Word of God, for for one day a week, that doesn't seem to make sense, much sense since we know the Word of God is, is far more important than, than things of school and stuff. But that can be a challenge to the family too. I mean, I don't really have to home wake up every single day. I'm not saying that, really saying that household we should be, you know, making yeah. for God really daily. And I think, especially as you mentioned, man training other men, you know, for the man of the house to do that. Yeah. 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 I think the father's called to, to play that spiritual leader role uh, in the family and kind of, you know, having that time of that Bible study time with your, with your children and with your family, I think is important too. Um, and not just relying on them their one day at work or one day at church on Sunday or maybe Bible study on Wednesday for the, that to be where they get their teaching and doctrine, but you to be doing that yourself uh, with your family. I think it's a very important thing as well. Any other ways? Um, yeah, so I was going to say church, but, well, yeah. but I important to remember uh you know god's sovereign over all and he's gonna um you know teach he's gonna teach those who he's called to teach and uh you know those will be raised up who he's called so that, that's important to remember as well anything else go ahead kathy Mm-hmm. All of us have that responsibility mm-hmm. to be the next generation. Yeah. I 
Yeah. 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 Again, it's not. This isn't just for pastors to to carry this on to other pastors. This is for men. This is for women. Uh, and we have, you know, we have men's uh, breakfast for for men that together. And we're yeah, actually, I think we're going to start a book there if anybody's interested in that. Um, to read along with that and, and kind of help each other grow. I think the women are doing a book, right? Um, so I encourage you to get plugged into that um, and just kind of help each other grow. Iron sharpens iron, right? And continue to, uh, to pass on this this sound doctrine and to your children and stuff and involved with children's church um, and making sure that we're teaching them as well because one day they'll be our ages and they'll be the ones teaching this to others, hopefully. So. Yeah, it's important uh, to remember all of this, and that's what Paul is urging Timothy to do uh, here because the the flourishing of the church, the success of a church is dependent upon uh, its leaders and those who are in charge um, to, to faithfully proclaim the word there. So then he says, uh, moving on to verse 3, it says to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So these verses... Uh, I'll go ahead and actually read 3 through 7 here because it all kind of couples together. So, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim to uh, please the one who since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And so, uh, Paul in these verses is just laying out really the nature of the Christian life uh, and that this is what characterizes a life that is being lived for God. And he uses a number of metaphors uh, to get his point across here. And the first one is Paul calls Timothy a soldier of Jesus Christ. This kind of language is used often uh, in the Bible where the Christian is, is compared, or the Christian life is compared to warfare. Um, can anybody think of other examples in, in the scriptures where this happens? Yeah, the armor, putting on the armor of God uh, in Ephesians 6. I'm actually going to read that to you. Anybody else think of other ones? Yeah, there's. it also has in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. I'll go ahead and read this passage a little longer, but um, I think kind of gets this point across. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. <clears throat> so very clearly uh, indicating that the Christian life is, is like warfare. Uh, and I think this is important to recognize, um, that it really is like a war. I think oftentimes we read stuff like that, and can kind of think, well, that sounds a little exaggerated language. Is it really like a war? I don't know that it's, you know, it's really that serious. Um, but the Bible very clearly tells us that it is. And, and I would say that probably if you think this is an exaggeration, and, and I confess that sometimes I, I kind of feel this way, then most likely you are not trying to fight sin the way you should be. You're not trying to pursue holiness the way you should be. 
Uh, you're not trying, or you're, maybe you're not standing bold enough for the Lord like you should be. Um, because if you're doing those things, it can often feel like it, it is a war. And I think probably you guys can relate to that. Um, if you've you know, done those things, you try to fight sin, it, it's difficult to do sometimes. It's a war you're waging against uh, the flesh. Um, but again, if you you think that your life's really not like that, um, it's probably because you're not doing a number of those things. And so we have to be, be certain that we are, and, and then you'll start to feel like uh, your life is a war. And so that's what kind of Timothy is referring, or Paul is referring to here, calling us a good soldier. And so we are to be good soldiers and share in suffering. And obviously to be a good soldier, um, you have to be willing to suffer. Uh, you have to be willing to put yourself in harm's way uh, on the battlefield. You know, if you're going to flee from every dangerous situation that comes up, the minute it comes up, then you wouldn't be a very good soldier, right? And so that's what he's saying here. Uh, it, even in the Christian life, you are not being a good soldier of Jesus Christ if every time a difficult situation arises, you flee from it. Uh, you abandon what you know and what you've been taught in order to you know, ease your situation and find a way out of this difficult situation by maybe not being as committed to what the Word of God tells me to do in this situation. <clears throat> and so uh, he continues on to say, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So what do you think Paul means by saying this? Any thoughts? Go ahead, Drew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. And that's kind of along the metaphor there. You know, for a soldier, when you're out on the battlefield, you're not really worried about any civilian things going on, you know, back home or in, in the rest of the world. You're worried about what's in front of you and doing what you've been called to do, and doing what the one who has enlisted you has called you to do. And so he's just comparing that uh, to the Christian life and really saying that, you know, you must put off the cares of this world, the desires of this world, um, and focus on what truly matters. And now, again, this isn't to say that you can't have other cares, you know, apart from like the Bible and church, or other desires in life. Uh, uh, but it is saying that, you know, you can't have these things dominate your life. You can't have these things become your main priority in life. You cannot get entangled with these things, which is so often um, a temptation to do. Um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful or maybe wanting to have a good education, uh, wanting to have a big family or, or all this, a good job, whatever. Um, but when that stuff becomes more of your priority than uh, the things of God, uh, then that is when you're no longer being that good soldier because you've entangled yourself with things um, that are not the most important thing. Uh, so your primary focus is on those things instead of pleasing God. So Paul is saying that this is the mark of a good soldier and a good Christian, that their primary focus is pleasing the one who enlisted them, which in our case is God. And it's not that you uh, just like these things, or that you, you know, maybe you enjoy listening to sermons or uh, going to church every now and again, reading your Bible for every now and again, no, it's that you are dedicated to these things. You're devoted to these things as a soldier, as a good soldier is to the one enlisted him. So I guess you should ask yourself, you know, are you devoted to the things of God or are you entangling yourself with, with worldly pursuits, with your job or um, with television or whatever it might be, entertainment, sports? Are you more entangled with those things than you are with the Word of God? So then we get, move on. See how much time we have a little bit of time left. We'll try and hit this point and then we'll be done. Verse 5, he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So, what do you think Paul means by this metaphor here? 
continue to engage. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be active and and pursuing of everything that he's laid out. And it says, according to if you if you're going to be playing a game, if you're going to be on a track team, there's rules that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. He's laid out the law, and you have to follow those rules and actively participate, not just kind of jog along with everyone else. Mm-hmm. You need to. to Run the race. Yeah, yeah, kind of that idea of being an athlete, being involved with it is the picture there. And then, yeah, like he says, you says, you have to compete according to the rules. So, um, quite simply, a Christian is to obey the commands of God, um, is what is being said here. Uh, Paul uses this analogy again because we already talked, or kind of already talked about this, because the readers would have been very familiar with uh, athletic events such as the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games that were held in Corinth. Uh, they would have understood that in order to be crowned, you had to compete by the rules. You had to uh, uh, do what you were told. You could not cheat. And if you know anything about the sports uh, world, uh, there are a number of examples of athletes that have you know, maybe had remarkable careers and gone on to break all kinds of records. And then at the end of it all, you find out, well, they cheated the whole time. They, they were taking steroids or they were taking uh, performance-enhancing drugs, whatever. Uh, they, weren't a, they weren't competing against the rules. And then their whole uh, careers are tarnished because of that. And we've had examples of this, um, or all kinds of examples of this. And so Paul is saying, if you're going to live the Christian life, you have to obey the commands of God. Uh, We see this kind of thing in Christian circles of people who seem to be such devout and wonderful Christians, and then later we find out um, that they were deceiving people all along, manipulating people, not obeying the commands of God. We see all kinds of like prominent pastors uh, that have a huge following, and then all of a sudden we find out they weren't really Christians, um, and they were just kind of manipulating people. And so Paul is saying that if you're going to live the Christian life, you have to obey the commands of God. Uh, and this is significance between, or there is a significant difference between the cheating athlete and the professing Christian who's not actually a Christian. And that is that there may be many athletes who uh, cheat and uh, don't compete according to the rules who get away with it. And... Um, Maybe go their whole career and nobody knows that they did that. Um, but this is not the case for the professing Christian who appears to be a Christian, uh, but is not. Uh, they unfortunately will not be so lucky. And it reminds me of a verse in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, which says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. For the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So again, if you're living this de- deceptive manipulative Christian life, you're taking advantage of people, maybe you get away with it, maybe nobody realizes it here on earth, uh, but when you stand before God, you're not going to get away with it. God's going to, uh, he knows your life, he knows you know, how you lived, and he's going to judge you accordingly for that. So uh, that would be one significant difference there between the athlete and the Christian life. We'll stop there because it's 1030. Any final comments or questions on anything we've talked about? Like you say, that's how it, it don't get victory over anything. It's by by not following the light. So the whole idea of you know the whole idea of God giving us victory in our lives over things to obey Him. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty important. Yeah, aspect there also. I think of that whole idea of an athlete. You know, the whole idea of trying to win and striving to to do the best that you can um, according to how God is calling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it. To experience the most blessing in our life requires obedience to the word, right? And again, you're not. 
saved by your obedience, but we're called to obedience. And uh, there's benefits, obviously, from listening to God's word and listening to his commands. So. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Dave. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, I was reminded of, you know, you've ever seen where people get caught running a marathon and they get first place, but they like hitched a ride or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And later found out that they cheated. Mm -hmm. So they don't get that crown. I mean, they showed up to the race just like everyone else. They participated in it just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. They have their number on their chest, they have the uniform, everything, they have the shoes, and they won, or so everybody thought. Yeah, that's a good example of, of an athlete that, you know, it looked like they won the race. It looked like they did what they were supposed to do, but we found out that they weren't, you know. Did you have something to say? I was just thinking about, like, to compete according to the rules, you have to know the rules, right? And yep. it's, you don't get the excuse of, like, oh, I didn't know that one. Like, I've seen, right. like, in high school, basketball, people get yeah, that's a good example. Again, you get, you'll get penalized in sports regardless of whether you know the rule or not. And so we have to know the Word of God. That's that's the rule book. That's what lays out the commands for us to follow. And so if you don't know those, um, you're still held accountable for that, even if you don't do them. So good point there. All right, let's close in prayer. And then we'll... Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this time to study your Word and uh, to learn more about you. I just pray uh, that you would uh, continue to teach us in this study, Lord. And we would learn, learn more about you and grow closer to you. I just pray that we would um, be like this uh, good soldier that is faithful to you, Lord, and willing to suffer on your behalf and take up our cross and follow you, Lord. I just pray that we would be uh, the good athletes that compete according to the rules, Lord, that we would know your word, we would know your commands, Lord, and that we would strive to follow them, even though we'll do so un or imperfectly, Lord. We know that there's forgiveness and grace for these things um, and that we can continue to uh, strive to put them to death and turn away from, from sins and, and hindrances in our lives, Lord. I just pray for your help and your grace in this and pray now that you would be with us as we uh, listen to the sermon uh, this next hour. Just pray that you'd be with Pastor Tim. Give him strength and wisdom as he teaches and clarity to be able to preach your word accurately, Lord. And I just pray that we would give you praise and worship. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.